0: Today we'll be hearing from Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 13. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Once we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days, and finally Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city in an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept the practice. And all at once, prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your whole household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all those in his house, all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all of his household were baptized. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Let's pray together. Father, I ask now that as we look at your word and look at how the gospel worked in the lives of these three very different people, you would show us how you want to work in each of our our lives, and how you're going to work through us to extend your kingdom, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So the story we have here today is the story of the planting of the church in Philippi, which, if you're familiar with the New Testament, became one of Paul's favorite churches. A favorite book to many people is the book of Philippians, you know, the epistle of joy. And... And a lot of people who study the various letters of Paul notice that that seems to be the church of all of them that Paul liked the most, the church that he didn't have anything bad to say about. They didn't have any major heresies, any major controversies, and they were just purely an encouragement to him. And so this story tells us of the founding, the establishment, and I think we see the ingredients here of why that church was so vital to the Apostle Paul, and you know, and, and as you go through the Book of Acts, it's essentially the story of the churches being planted around the known world. And Luke tells that story differently in every town that he goes to. And when he goes to Acts, he tells the story of the founding of the church at Philippi, this favorite church of his, by sharing the story of three main converts, three important people who three people who became pillars of the church in Ephesus. They were Lydia, the dealer in purple cloth and hey, Tony, are we? Tony, you can't hear me. Okay. Hello. Alright. Can you hear me now? I couldn't I couldn't read Tony's hand signals there. So there were there were three very different people. Lydia, a businesswoman a dealer in purple cloth, a slave girl who got freed from the demons that possessed her, and then the jailer in uh, in the town center there of Philippi. And so they're three different people, and they have three different experiences of what it means to encounter Jesus. Lydia was a God-fearing woman, and what the New Testament means by that is a technical term for people who who were not born into Judaism, but were attracted by the ethics, by the worship, by the theology, and by the practice of of the, the Jewish people. And so they started practicing Jew, Judaism without becoming real Israelites. And so she's one of those people, a very deeply spiritual woman, a very... Uh, a woman full of faith, a woman who who tried to live by her faith, and she's at the place of prayer at a certain time, and Paul goes there. It's sort of the substitute because the the city of Philippi did not have a synagogue. They had a a designated place of prayer, and that's where Paul goes, and he meets Lydia. He's sharing the gospel with her, and it says, her heart is opened, and she came to believe. And I think the thing that we we see there, we see... uh, Person who, if you met her in person, you would say, "Well, this is a woman who has it all together. She's a a dealer in purple cloth. In other words, the equivalent of an executive in the garment industry. She's a person who who is, is deeply spiritual. A person who's living her life according to to the the rules of of the Israelite faith. She's a person who." perhaps if you met her would be come across as, as uh, charismatic and compelling and, and in control. She was a female head of household. She dressed fabulous. She had a fabulous home. When, once she becomes converted, she says to this whole band of merry men, come stay at my house. So probably she had a lot of guest rooms available for, for whatever guests she might be inclined to, to invite over. So, so this woman had everything going for her on the outside. But when Paul starts speaking to her, her heart is opened. Because in spite of all the structure she had built up around her, all the scaffolding of her life, she knew in the midst of that, that her heart had become hard. In the midst of that, there was something missing, something that even being successful in business, something that even being being committed in her faith, something that, that didn't that wasn't touched, something that needed the impact of the gospel. Lydia was the person who I think, if you if you saw her on a Sunday, you asked her how she was doing, she'd say, oh, I'm fine. But what she'd actually mean by that is I'm frantic and insecure and neurotic and emotional, so get out of my way. But when Paul talks to her and talks to her about how the Messiah has come, how someone has come and made the final sacrifice for all, of our sins. How Jesus has conquered death on her behalf. Her heart is changed. And she realizes that the fabulousness she's looking for is not something that can be found in commercial success. Not something that can be found in the beauty that she creates. Not something that can be found even in trying to be a good person. It's something that can only be found through her connection with Christ. And she believes her heart is touched. Her heart is changed. And she's transformed. And Paul breaks through that strong exterior that she has and is able to transform and to touch her heart with the message of the Savior's love. So Lydia shows us that there's no one who's too fabulous that they don't need their heart changed, their heart touched by the gospel. I think a lot of times in my own life, I, I tend to be intimidated by people who seem to have it all together and say those are people who are not going to be open right now, perhaps not going to be, they're not really seeking right now. But Paul is able to break through her impressive exterior and share the good news of the gospel with her and it touches her where she needs to be touched. Now at the opposite end of the extreme in the same story, Paul as he's going back and forth to the place of prayer to meet with Lydia and her friends and to teach them about the Messiah who's come, who Changes everything, who took away their sins and who conquered sin and death for them, there's someone who's the complete different. It's this slave girl. If Lydia was a wealthy, successful lady, the slave girl's so poor she doesn't even own her own life, her own her own existence. If Lydia was a woman who was trying to do the right thing, the slave girl is so is so bound, her spirit has been overtaken by. A demon. She doesn't even control her inner life because she's demon-possessed and she's used by her owners as something of a freak show. And the interesting thing is Paul tries to ignore her and tries to walk by her and and not give her any notice, but the slave girl notices them. And the slave girl keeps yelling at them, these men are servants of the Most High God, they're telling you the way of salvation. So here's a demon-possessed individual who's actually preaching the truth. She's a person who's who doesn't own herself, a person who's dressed in rags, a person who belongs to her owners, and yet she has the message, she has the truth, but she cannot save herself. She's someone who needs help. And finally, what Paul does is he looks at her and I think it, it, it says it was after days and days of her yelling at them and shrieking at them, and Paul finally can't ignore them any, ignore her anymore. And so she turned. He turns to her and he says, "In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you, come out of her." And it says immediately the spirit left her. And so this was a was a a, a person who knew the truth, who spoke the truth, but she desperately needed help from outside. She needed someone to intervene in her life and reach out to her and rescue her from the demons that that bound her. And so Paul does this exorcism on her ultimately, he can't ignore her anymore. His heart goes out to her, his, his spirit goes out to her, and he rescues her. And now, as you see, what happened is th- this results in major problems for Paul because Paul's uh, the owners of the slave girl are annoyed at him because she was their cash couch. They were making money off of her because she could do certain things or predict the future and now all of a sudden she's good for nothing. And so they become angry at Paul. They start a riot. They get Paul arrested. But Paul is willing to do all this. Paul is willing to go through all of this because he's committed to rescuing this particular person. Now, you know, it's interesting, it doesn't tell us what happens to this slave girl, but, but the way this passage is written, commentators believe that she became one of the pillars of the church as well. So Paul, you know, we, I think we get caught up in a story like this, we get caught up with the fact that Paul cast a demon out of her. But think about it, after he did that, this girl needed a lot of help. First of all, she still belonged to the slave master, someone had to go and emancipate her from the people who owned her, perhaps by paying them a price, so that so that they could free her from her slavery. And then you've got this poor girl who's spent her whole life captivated by these demons, who's got nothing. She needs a home. She needs support. She she's going to need a she's going to need a lot of uh, support in order to to be able to make it on her own. But somehow she becomes one of the pillars in the church. You know, if you're familiar with the book of Philippians, you know that at the very beginning, one of the things Paul says is, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion till the day of Christ Jesus. And I wonder if at that point, Paul wasn't thinking of this poor girl who he had been able to rescue from the demonic oppression and and bring to faith if, if she was one of the people who God had continued to work on and, and to and to bring to completion till the day of Christ Jesus. So we see in the life of Lydia that no one's too fabulous for the Gospel. Everybody needs God's help. We see in the life of the slave girl that no one's too lost for the Gospel, no one's too broken for the Gospel, that God can't reach down and touch them and help them. And then we meet the Philippian jailer. So what happens is because of the ruckus Paul has started, the slave, the slave owners go to the authorities. They say these guys are causing problems. These guys are bad news. And, and because those guys apparently are well connected, they're able to get Paul and Silas arrested and beaten up and thrown in jail. And that's where we meet the, the, uh, jailer. The, the jailer's the guy who's charged with control of them overnight. And, and, uh, you know, typically scholars tell us that these jailers these, these were career civil servants, usually uh, military veterans you know a retired sergeant who had gone into this and, and now he's, he's, uh, he's just taking care of this jail, you know a good secure job, not the kind of guy who you would think is open to the gospel because he believes more in things like chains and bars and walls and fences and whips and things like that. To manage people and control people, but uh, and so he takes charge of Paul and Silas, and it says it says that he was instructed to put them into the most secure place in the prison, and he doesn't ask any questions. He just does what he's told to do. He puts them in in a secure place in the prison where where he presumes they'll be safe, and and he goes to bed. But then at about midnight. There's an earthquake, and all of a sudden the prison doors are open, the prison gates are open, and everything and, and everything seems to be lost. And he runs to the prison only to find that the things that he thought that he believed were going to hold the prisoners in place are are no longer in place. Because of the earthquake, the walls have come tumbling down, and he assumes everybody is is gone. And now the code of honor for prison guards in that day, in that place, was that if you lost any prisoners, it was their life for your life. And so he realizes that all is lost, that, that the prison is no longer secure. He panics, and he decides that He's going. He, he pulls out his, his sword. He's going to lay down on it and kill himself because he can't believe what's happened. And at that moment, Paul and Silas come out and they say, they, they, they say, don't harm yourself. We're still here. Paul and Silas decided that they weren't going to take advantage of the situation and run away. They see the guy's distress the and they surrender themselves to him in spite of the fact that they could have gotten away. so the, and, and that's when the jailer says to them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And he's thinking, how am I ever going to uh, rectify this situation? But Paul and Silas respond to him, verse 31, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your household. And so we see in the jailer, we see he's sort of a, a microcosm to me of all men. On the one hand, he's too strong for the gospel because he believes in chains and bars and things like that to control things. And, and like all of us, you know, we, we want to be able to control our lives and control the physical things, control the practical things. And we can do that, we figure everything is going to be okay. But then when you try to control everything, when you think you have everything in control... That's when the earthquake inevitably comes. And earthquakes come in all of our lives ultimately and eventually. It might be a diagnosis from a doctor that tells you that your life is going to change. It might be a reversal in your company and all of a sudden you don't know what your career is going to, what, what's going to happen to your career. It might be a breaking or a loss of a relationship that you thought you could count on and then you don't even know who you are anymore. But the earthquakes come in our lives. And even the people who seem too strong for the gospel or might be too strong to be interested in salvation by grace alone through faith alone today, tomorrow might be desperate for something or anything that will bring them to salvation. And that's what happens in the life of of the jailer. So he's from one. he goes from being too strong to be interested in eternal life, eternal salvation, to so weak that he even doubts there's any hope for him at all. But in that, somewhere in that intersection, he discovers that if he believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious King who became the humble servant and died for his sins, and then conquered death for him and for everyone else, if he can believe that, then even he can be saved. So there we have the three pillars of the church at Philippi. The woman Lydia, who seemed too fabulous to approach. The the slave girl, whose life was so tragic that you just wanted to avert your eyes and pretend there's nobody who's suffering that deeply. And then the prison guard, who wanted to have everything under control. Now, Paul... As as you might know, Paul's heritage was he was a Pharisee. And I I mean that in the literal sense. He was a, a Jew from the strictest sect within Judaism. And Pharisees had a prayer that they would traditionally pray every morning when they woke up. It was not a politically correct prayer, but it went like this. God, this morning I thank you that I am not a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. And now Paul is gathered with his core group of this church he's going to start that he believes is going to to be a light to the church of Philippi. And what does he have? He has a Gentile prison guard, a slave that he's emancipated, and this female head of household businesswoman. And the three of them are somehow going to come together and found a church. And you wonder, did Paul look at this group and say, how are these three people ever going to get along? Or did Paul look at this group? Was he able to look at this group and say, Jesus is working in ways I never would have expected. And somehow, these people who have nothing in common with me all of a sudden have everything in common with me because we share a common faith. Because God has worked in them just like he worked in me once upon a time. And then I was thinking about this passage personally. You know, you when you go through these passages, it's like, well, well, this is an interesting historical story, an interesting story of God working back then, but I wondered, well, which which one of these am I? And I thought about, you know, there's been times when I've tried to be someone like Lydia, to to build a structure around my life and try to project that I, I had uh, things managed and uh, try to make a good impression on, on everybody around me and, and make people presume that, that everything is okay, and if someone would ask me how I was doing, I'd say, I'm fine, even if I really wasn't fine. Until I came to the place where God opened my heart to my dependence on the gospel and to the hope, the only hope that any of us can have, the hope that resides in our Lord Jesus Christ. And came to the place where I realized that the glory and the grandeur and the hope that I needed was not something that I could build, not something that I could develop, but something that he had to give to me. So in a sense, there's a part of me that can relate to Lydia. But then on the other hand, the slave girl, she ran ran around telling everybody the truth. These men are servants of the Most High God and they're telling you the way to be saved. So the slave girl basically reminds me of every preacher I've ever known. Because on the one hand, She had the truth, and she was able to tell the truth to everybody else, but on the other hand, she was desperately in need of somebody to help her figure out how to apply the truth to her own life. She was desperately in need of help, both in the midst of her situation and then to move forward after she discovered the grace of Christ. She was in need of help in order to figure out how to navigate life going forward. And on the other hand, I think all men in some ways can relate to the prison guard we want to simplify life to its most basic elements and say if we can control those things if we can go to work and come home and everything's okay we'll be just fine until or unless there's an earthquake but then when the earthquake comes we're stripped of our security we're stripped of our secu- of our control And we have to wonder, what are we going to do now? How are we going to be saved now? And that's when we realize it's not our strength, it's not our plans, it's not our power, it's resting in the strength of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's resting in the plan of God for the way of salvation. It's resting in His power over our lives and even over death itself. And that is the only thing we can ultimately depend on. See, the story of Lydia, the story of the prison guard, the story of the slave girl—is the story of all of us, three very different people who discovered they had the most important thing in common, the most important thing, their need and their love for the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. They discovered it. It bound them together. It built a great church in that place. And as we discover that for ourselves, we'll discover something that we have in common, regardless of how different we might be, and something that absolutely everyone we know needs and can have as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the way you worked many, many years ago in the lives of these three children of yours, and I thank you for the way you're working in... In our midst here at uh, Redeemer Hoboken, we pray that you'd help us to continue to see that what binds us together, what we ultimately have in common, the only thing that matters is
0: your grace and your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.